The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. O day of God, draw nigh in beauty and in power. Come with thy timeless judgment now to match this present hour. Bring to our troubled minds, uncertain and afraid, the quiet of a steadfast faith, calm of a call obeyed. Beloved, you are welcome to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are brought this day for our congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry, leadership, and service in our midst, And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. pray. O Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name, 
for you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We begin this service, this Lord's Day, this week, as is our custom, with a moment of quiet in which we confess our sin. We remember today our calling to care for the least, the last, and the lost. We remember today our calling to remember those in the dawn of life, those in the twilight of life, those in the shadows of life. We remember today our calling to remember the stranger, the needy, the neighbor, for we were once ourselves strangers in the midst of others. Let us, as the choir sings, offer our silent personal prayers of confession. Here, saving good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the first book of Kings, chapter 21, verses 1 to 21a. Later, the following events took place. Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, so that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near my house. I will give you a better vineyard for it, or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you my ancestral inher inheritance. Ahab went home resentful and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, for he had said, I will not give you my ancestral inheritance. He lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would not eat. His wife Jezebel came to him and said, Why are you so depressed that you will not eat? 
He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard for it. But he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. His wife Jezebel said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Get up, eat some food, and be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who lived with Naboth in his city. She wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and seat nobles who live with Naboth in his city. Uh, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the assembly. Seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring a charge against him saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. The men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. Just as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the assembly. The two scoundrels came in and sat opposite him, and the scoundrels brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Go and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. As soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab set out to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Go down and meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in the vineyard of Naboth, where he was gone to take possession. You shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? You shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, dogs will also lick up your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. I will bring disaster on you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians, chapter 3, verses 23 to 29. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, to the, heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Have we went with a throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my rock, why have you, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound on my, in my body, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, 
and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. On this Father's Day, many of us think of our parents who rest now in a greater light and upon a farther shore. You think today of your inheritance, your real, that is spiritual, that is familial, that is named inheritance. 
What is yours? What is that quintessential something that no one else perhaps has to carry forward that is yours, that you will not, cannot, should not give away? And what about our shared inheritance as a globe, as a country, and as a church? I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. With this terse refusal, Naboth lost his garden, his head, and in fact the very inheritance he hoped to protect. For Ahab, though he sulked, and though he fasted, and though he moaned, and though he allowed Jezebel to take charge, King Ahab at last had his wish, his vineyard. Just here, Ahab's shadow begins to fall. Israel, nine centuries before Jesus, went sliding down a slippery slope, pushed and pulled by the influence of increasingly poor leadership. Poor leadership. After David and Solomon, the nation's fortunes declined steadily under other lesser kings. Who remembers Jeroboam or Nimri or Amri or today Amri's son, Ahab? Boston University has a long history of excellent teaching in Hebrew scripture. Elmer Leslie, Harold Beck, Kathy Darr. They have remembered and helped us to do so, too. You remember. Old Samuel told them years before, you want a king? You want a king. Everybody else has a king, so you want a king, too. All right? You will get your king, and with your king, a whole basket of trouble. Ahab is remembered in scripture because, in hindsight, he symbolized the progressive disintegration of Israelite society. The failings of the leadership, somehow uncannily, were seen in retrospect to represent a deeper and far wider malaise in a society that year by year increasingly placed the poor at the mercy of the rich. Ahab's shadow, part of the lengthening shadow of predatory, mendacious leadership in ancient Israel, has had a long, long reach right up to today's newspaper. Ahab's shadow. What was this capricious craving all about? He desired, he coveted his poor neighbor's little plot. And in a way, why not? After all, he was king. Hey, rank has its privileges. To the victor go the spoils. What do you give a 500-pound gorilla? Anything he wants. I mean, this was a personal matter. It had nothing to do with public policy. The nation was prosperous and safe thanks to shrewd management and the alliance with Tyre and Sidon sealed with Jezebel's kiss. This was a small matter. Kings have stolen a whole lot more. What did Ahab want with that little garden, that little secret private pleasure? What would provoke a king like Ahab so to desire a tiny vineyard like Naboth's? Perhaps the stresses of public life caused Ahab to desire a little personal pleasure. After all, he might have reasoned, even in the Camelot days of David, there was the matter of the beautiful blonde Bathsheba. Even in the halcyon glory days of an earlier generation, still there was a dark side and Uriah the Hittite and Psalm 51. If David could have Bathsheba, surely Ahab could desire a little vineyard, the inheritance of Naboth the inheritance of Naboth's faith, and he could take it and turn a little prophet plowing under the vines and planting a regular garden, like they do in Egypt, say. Did Ahab desire to be like David? Perhaps the trappings of power and leadership changed Ahab, as my friend used to say about Episcopal leaders, they hear every day what, a, what wonderful people they are and what a great job they're doing, and amazingly, some of them start to believe it. Visibility, power, position, they corrupt. Maybe it takes one to know one. You, you get distant. You, you don't visit in the home as much, contrary to John Wesley. You become insulated. You rise above. You look down. You forget what it takes. Bishop Herbert Skeet, a kindly and compassionate pastor in Harlem, came up here to lead in New England and then retired. He referred in his 1996 valediction, July, University of Massachusetts, Northeast Jurisdictional Conference, to the vast majority of his little New England churches as, I quote him exactly, Eurocentric havens of mediocrity. 
a little exhaustion, a little frustration, my, my. I guess you get bitter, you get hardened. The hurts and gifts of the Lilliputians under you fade. L'Eglise, c'est moi. Yes, General Superintendent. Yes, King. Those lay folks, clergy, they don't need the encouragement of an example, let alone mine. Naboth can get along without a vineyard. The heck with his inheritance, the cultivated vineyard. The heck with their history of live free or die. Doesn't matter that much really now, does it? Did Ahab get tired of the small stuff? Perhaps the endless contention and intractable difference of leadership in a republic, in any institution really, got to Ahab. After all, he was king. Couldn't even organize and execute on his own the purchase of a vineyard? Some 30 years ago, some years ago, 30 United Methodist pastors from large churches gathered in Minneapolis. We worshiped at Hennepin Avenue United Methodist Church. Rod Wilmoth, the lead pastor there, preached a great sermon on the theme of faith that moves mountains. His sermon, though, sermon title, though, as recorded in that morning's bulletin, was, ex- was accidentally printed not as intended. Not faith that can move mountains, but rather faith that mountains can move. And he said later, I thought I was in charge here. As a public leader, sometimes you just can't win. You don't succeed. You fight City Hall tooth and nail, and you're the mayor. Did he just want a sense of accomplishment? Perhaps this all has to do then and now with family dysfunction. Jezebel, an early enabler, acts out for her sulking mate his lust for the vineyard. Isn't that a picture? I can imagine the political cartoons of the day impeach the king and her husband too. She orchestrates the media, the courts, the public opinion of the day, the powers that be. And so the nation becomes a messy place a place where it's hard to tell who's telling the truth, a place where the spoken public word is not always verifiable, a place where the innocent are found guilty, a place where the apparatus of state is used for personal gain. Hard to imagine a nation like that, isn't it? Or is it? Jezebel is not really to blame here. She just executes her husband's, her king's desire, The shadow is his, not hers. Be careful, dear friend. We become the servants, unwittingly, of those whom we most want to please. It is important for Jezebel, and it's important for you and me, to know whom we are trying to please in life, for we are slaves of that one. Faith in Christ, the faith of Jesus Christ, better said, is God's gift and frees us, radically and truly frees us from all forms of enslavement to pleasing others. Paradoxically, the faith of Jesus Christ does so by re-enslaving us to Christ alone, in him. See where you are in the cosmic apocalypse of Christ. See what time it is the time when new creation supplants creation. Hear the gospel. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male or female. There is no longer gay or straight. No one can serve two masters. The life we now live in the flesh, we live by the faith of Jesus Christ. You are his Who do you want to please? Did Ahab become caught up in an unhealthy family system? None of these, finally, is the marrow or the buried treasure of the scripture today, nor the truth of our own time, either. In spite, or perhaps because of his military success and material surplus, Ahab desired at depth, and this is the tragedy of his tale, a more convenient God. Ahab desired a less inconvenient deity. Ahab desired, through all these other lesser cravings, a more compliant Lord. One more in the mold of the nations, more Jezebel and less Elijah. And here the shadow truly lengthens 
and fully falls. Ahab's shadowy desire, apocalyptically revealed here as truth in the manner detected and discerned by the wise through the ages, including William James, J. Lewis Martin, St. Paul of Tarsus, in that odd moment, apocalypse, truth, happens. Ahab's desire was for a less austere God, one less inclined to invade human space with haunting, troubling questions about life and death and meaning and love and especially justice. And a little Elijah goes a long way. He walks into the king's court and he shouts, one of us is cursed and I think it's you. Look, there, there, dogs will lick your blood. A little of that goes a long way. Is this really more about us than it is about him? Israel remembered Ahab's shadowy desire for a more convenient God, not out of reverence for Ahab, but because his desire somehow revealed the waxing national desire for a little lower heaven, a little lighter covenant, a little more convenient God. As the distant mirror of the scriptures may teach us, we are so interested because we know this figure and this desire so well. For we too want a little more convenient deity, one who will affirm our proclivities and ignore our cruelties. We know this Ahab quite well, always a little sideways to the truth, politically able, morally twisted, at heart faithless, looking for more convenience than the inheritance of the fathers allows, at heart hoping for an easy chance, the lottery of life, something for nothing, a quick pleasure, a garden delight. We get the leadership we deserve. On the horizon today, we hear and see demagoguery, America first, birtherist, misogynist, racist, xenophobic, narcissistic, don't you love all those Greek-rooted words, bigotry, like one who said of a slight to another competitor, wow, I sure did that well. I called him low energy. That was a one-day kill. Words are beautiful things. Some express surprise, a sense of mistake regarding the nomination in question. Yet there is no surprise or mistake about the nomination in question. Eighty percent of voters in one party, one grand old party, agree with him and with these three propositions, 80%. Muslims should be banned, a wall should be built along the Rio Grande, undocumented immigrants of all ages and stages should be rounded up, arrested, jailed, and deported. If you are in conversation with a member of such a party, chances are four out of five that you are in conversation with these views. There's no surprise, there's no mistake, you see. The shadow falls on us. Over time, we get the leadership we deserve. In a moment today, we pray together for the Orlando dead. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do so, as in gathering and vigil and silence we have already done through this past week. First and foremost, we turn our spirits toward their loved ones and families and friends, And we return to the very themes preached exactly one year ago from this pulpit here following Charleston regarding gun violence. Our Boston University School of Public Health Dean Sandro Galea has furthered that argument with strength this very week. Yet as a chapel in the Methodist tradition, we also have a particular reckoning now. United Methodism has been part and parcel of a part of our shadowed culture that has fomented and augmented dehumanization of gay people, bigotry against sexual minorities. Only two active Northeastern bishops put their name this May to a shared letter rejecting in no uncertain terms this abject denominational failure. 
silent, silent were the vast majority of active general superintendents. And now, a week ago today, the chickens have come home to roost. It's time. The time for discussion is over, washed away in the blood of Orlando. Local churches and charge conferences need now to stop funding, funding that supports bigotry, as in one possible example, in three general funds, World Service, the Episcopal Fund, and Africa University. Annual conferences need to go ahead and ordain and deploy gay people, as many are doing, the silence of their bishops notwithstanding. Seven annual conferences now across the country, including the actions taken in New England this past week. Bigotry is from this day forward globally, generationally, and grittily rejected, here and now. Orlando is to Methodism and the gay issue what Kent State was to America and the war in Vietnam, an apocalyptic moment when those who may still have thought otherwise, people of sound mind and heart, now turn, now turn, now turn. It's time. What the sad incompetence of the general church, the general conference, and the silent general superintendents has ignored. Look, by apocalypse, the local churches and the annual conferences are now addressing. And we at Marsh Chapel adamantly and vigorously marry gay people and employ and deploy gay clergy. And where we can support others to do so, we shall. One Northeastern bishop this week callously sent out a letter about Orlando without even mentioning the targeting of the gay population. A minister in his conference wrote him back the following. I was shocked that no mention was made in your statement about the key issue the country and our church are wrestling with, the oppression of gays. As long as our denomination and its leaders not only continue the oppression of gays, but ignore their pain in the midst of being slaughtered, we will truly have made ourselves irrelevant in the healing of the world in this day and time. No. We want a, a little lower heaven, a little lighter covenant, a little less inconvenient God. Israel saw in hindsight that Ahab's shadow had become their own, the easier worship of a less inconvenient God. It isn't about Ahab. It's about Israel. It isn't about others. It's about us. Elijah, in the end, speaks. Elijah never dies. His voice is active, coming in forms we least expect, and sitting in empty chairs left vacant by faithful hearts. Elijah, rumpled and tousled, Elijah, skeptical of concentrated power. Elijah, with a passion for compassion. Elijah, concerned for the left out. His voice erupts now and then. So we are right to leave a chair, some space vacant for him. I have not heard his voice in a while, but he does not die. Almost 50 years ago this spring, on at least one evening, you heard him, full of compassion. This spring has overtones from 1968 all the way to California. On June 5, 1968, at 8 a.m., our phone rang at breakfast. My dad had gone to Chicago for a denominational meeting. Breakfast with three younger siblings at age 13 is not exactly heaven on earth. It's for you, my sister said. Now that's a first, a phone call for me at breakfast. Over the long distance waves, my father said, you probably don't know this yet, but your favorite, your hero, Robert Kennedy, was shot last night in California and probably will die today or tomorrow. I know how much he meant to you, and I am so sorry for our loss. It is tragic, but we will get through it. As a pastor, he always had a knack for showing up where he was least expected and most needed. Least expected and most needed. Wouldn't every minister want to be so remembered? 
Two months earlier, on April 4th, Robert Kennedy was on his way to accept victory in the Andayana primary, five painful years after his brother's death and just weeks before his own assassination, and just a few hours after the slaying of Martin Luther King. Galatians 6.14 speaks of a triple crucifixion. One redeeming feature of our own hurt is that it helps us proffer compassion to others who hurt. Elijah keeps heaven high and the covenant heavy, and God, God, Elijah, we wait for your voice today. Robert Kennedy spoke to an inner-city rally of black and Polish voters. They had not heard the news which he gave, and there is a multi-generational deep moan that barks from that crowd still. I hear it still. He stands, rumpled shirt and tousled hair before a single microphone, noteless and alone. What courage to stand there that night and then, Elijah-like, to speak. I have some very sad news for you. In this difficult time, it is perhaps well to ask what kind of nation we are and what direction we want to move in. Do we want bitterness, hatred, a desire for revenge, greater polarization of black and white? Or, with Martin Luther King, do we seek understanding, comprehension, to replace violence and the stain of violence with compassion? For those tonight who feel hatred and mistrust, I can also feel in my own heart that same kind of feeling. I had a member of my family killed. But we have to make an effort in this country to understand, to get beyond this time, as Ischylus wrote, even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our despair and against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. What we need in this country is not division, hatred, violence, and lawlessness, but love and wisdom and compassion and justice. We need to tame the savageness of man and make gentle the life of this world. We still need to tame the savageness of man and make gentle the life of this world. We still need to see things as they never were and say, why not? We still need to see wrong and try to right it, suffering and try to heal it, war and try to end it. Perhaps Elijah will take his place, will fill his chair, and will lift his voice again in our time and in your life and shine some light straight through Ahab's shadow. We come now to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by remaining seated, standing, kneeling, coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. you to join with me in reading the litany in remembrance of lives lost in Orlando. Gracious God, in whom we are all interrelated, interdependent, and one in humanity, thou whose grace embraces all and in whom violence to our brothers and sisters 
is violence unto each of us. We grieve for, remember, and honor those lives who were lost last week in Orlando. Especially we pray for the LGBTQ community there and across the country and around the globe. In these troubling and tumultuous times when bigotry and prejudice breed inhumanity to one another, in this time of challenge and struggle, of tumult and destruction, may we find our way, your way, amid conflict, unrest, and violence. Teach us your ways, God of refuge and strength, the ways of love and peace. Make us tender-hearted and loving toward one another as your mercy rests upon those whose lives have been deeply altered by death or injury. Though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, you are our God of refuge and strength, a present help in time of trouble. O oh Lord God, we bring before you the cries of a sorrowing world. In your mercy, set us free from the chains that bind us and defend us from everything that is evil. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now as children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. morning. We welcome, welcome you again to the nave of Marsh Chapel, whether you're sitting here with us in the pews, listening via radio or internet, or later on the podcast, please know that you are a valued member of our community. For those of you who are seated in the pews, we ask that you take part in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red pounds, pads found along the center aisle of each pew. That helps us to get to know you better and you to get help to get to know each other better. We'd like to wish a very happy Father's Day to all of our dads and everyone who's been a father figure to someone in our, in our community. We hope that you have a loving and relaxing day uh, with those that you love. Um, and many thanks to Caitlin Noe and Ray Bouchard for making our Father's Day brunch this morning possible before the service. Next Sunday after worship, we will be hosting a mini vacation Bible school in the lower level with pizza, Bible verses, music, and fellowship. If you are interested in attending, we ask that you please RSVP to um, Caitlin Note in the office. You can either see her or send her an email. Uh, in addition, uh, two weeks from today, we will be celebrating our annual Independence Day cookout on the 3rd of July, and we ask that our members of our community please sign up to bring hot dogs and hamburgers and any other side dishes that you would like to have. Um, it'll be a great time and so that will please see Caitlin in the office if you would like to sign up for that. 
For all of their news and events, please visit the chapel website, bu.edu chapel, where there's also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, let us remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver. Benevolent God, may we remember that these offerings of money, of metal and paper, are both generously given and are only one form of offering. In the days to come, may we remember this moment as a motivator for other forms of giving, of our time, of our voices, of our touch, and of our love. In these ways, may we glimpse more and more your kingdom come and your will done. Amen.
Lord, support us all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes. The busy world is hushed. The fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us a safe rest, a happy lodging, and peace at the, la at the last. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.